Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, Happy New Year. We are glad you're with us for the first edition of the Three Martini Lunch in the year 2023. However, we're going to spend the first podcast in 2023 with our final thoughts on 2022. So, hope you had a wonderful New Year's celebration. Today, uh, we conclude our year-end 2022 uh, Martini Awards with the most prestigious of all, the Person of the Year and the Turncoat of the Year. We'll also offer our predictions for 2023. And so, Jim, who is your Person of the Year? So I was very tempted to go with uh, Ukrainian President Zelensky, but time had named him Man of the Year, and I've talked about him in some of these other categories. So I didn't want to feel like I was just, you know, going back to the same well over and over again. Um, I, you know, you could also make an argument for Elon Musk, but I believe he was my Person of the Year and or Times Person of the Year last year. So I went down the list and I thought about it, and I realized the person who, and this might seem like a very ironic choice, And in fact, as of this recording, you could argue he's had not such a great 2022. And yet I feel like he was very consequential. And I'm not always the biggest fan of this person, but I think this person stands out amongst officials who achieved what they set out to achieve in the year 2022. This is the Republican leader in the House, Kevin McCarthy. As of this recording, it is not clear that he will be the next Speaker of the House. He's probably the favorite But he has not quite unified the entire Republican caucus. Just in the last little day or two, there's been a little bit of murmuring about Steve Scalise, but it sounds like he's more of an in-case-of-emergency break-glass type option. Kevin McCarthy got the most votes out of Republicans when they were attempting to select their leader. And as as much as there might be some grumbling from certain Republicans here, certain Republicans there, um, there has not been any emergence of a significant rival to Kevin McCarthy. Uh, those who don't like Kevin McCarthy have yet to unify around some other figure. Look, Mitch McConnell. Often we we have you know a lot of praise for Cocaine Mitch over the uh, you know over the years, but Republicans did not win a Senate majority. I don't think that's necessarily Mitch McConnell's fault, but it's very hard to say. Aha! Well, then he's our man of the year. Uh, Donald Trump. A whole bunch of his candidates did not shake out that way, and yet. 2023 begins with Republicans about to take over control of the House of Representatives. So Kevin McCarthy, even though he had a huge wind at his back, and I think you can very much clearly argue Republicans dramatically underperformed and they left a lot of seats on the table. There are a lot of races they could have done better and should have done better. Kevin McCarthy got what he wanted, a House Republican majority out of the 2018 midterms. So by that very low bar and that limited criteria, I make Kevin McCarthy my person of the year for 2022. Yeah, I mean, that's obviously the the bright spot for Republicans is they did get the House, not nearly by the margin that they wanted, but it will hopefully be a bulwark and not like the online uh, fake conservative bulwark, but just, just <laughs> the good act- kind of bulwark, not the bad kind. Yeah, exactly. That uh, can stand up against the Biden agenda, which, of course, is being which was rubber stamped by the Nancy Pelosi led House uh, leading up to the change of Congress tomorrow when all the fun will take place on the uh, House floor with the speaker vote. So, uh, Jim, uh, Kevin McCarthy since the midterm election has sounded downright Reagan-esque compared to Mitch McConnell, who seemed to cut every deal he could with Democrats, including the omnibus bill, which left the incoming House GOP majority out in the cold on this, which is infuriating a ton of people on the right. Maybe this, by the time folks hear this, this has all been sorted out and the Republicans know what they're going to do on the floor tomorrow. Maybe not. But uh, in terms of the Republican who had the good night, yeah, it's probably Kevin McCarthy. Uh, In terms of my choice, kind of goes back to 
big story of the year and who's the key player in that uh, in that story. And so for me, the best story, if you remember a couple of episodes ago, was the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And so the person of the year for me is the author of the majority opinion, Justice Samuel J. Alito, who gave a tour de force, a very long majority opinion, but it was very much uh, going through every single aspect of why not only the initial case, about the 15-week abortion ban in Mississippi uh, was the correct decision, but also painstakingly going through why Roe v. Wade was wrongly decided and explaining why it had to be overturned. Uh, He also got help, and so kudos to them as well, from Justice Thomas and Justice Gorsuch and Justice Coney Barrett and Justice uh, Kavanaugh. And so while it may not have been great for uh, Republican efforts at the polls, it was clearly the right decision to make. Uh, And keep in mind that Sam Alito was not the first choice of President George W. Bush. He originally wanted Harriet Myers uh, when that uh, seat came open. And it was the Republicans who told him to go pound sand. And that's when we got Sam Alito. Uh, Joe Biden tried to uh, knock him down a few pegs on the Senate Judiciary Committee. The Democrats tried to filibuster him. It didn't work. And uh, ultimately, it's back when we had filibusters for Supreme Court nominees. And ultimately, Sam Alito uh, is in position along with... um a court that Mitch McConnell and, and Donald Trump uh, certainly have uh, a hand in with that decision as well. But ultimately, with the decision itself, Justice Alito is the choice. Excellent choice there, Greg. And once again, I think I have a good choice. Then you mentioned yours. And I'm like, mm, should have gone with that one. Yeah. But then you would have had to scramble for a new choice. Yeah, there you go. But, uh, you know, there's lots of different things that happened in 2022. And uh, so uh, definitely uh, glad we get both of those out there. All right, on to the uh, less desirable award to put up on your mantle, the turncoat of the year. Jim, who do you have? So a lot of this will come down to how you define turncoat. And usually we think of somebody who is uh, going out of their way to betray someone, to suddenly switch sides, to uh, screw over someone who they were once supportive of. And I'm actually going to go in an unusual direction because I think it's consequential and it's more, it's less an overt betrayal than an absence. So by that standard, my turncoat of the year is Ivanka Trump, not out of maliciousness or uh, a desire to harm her father. But, you know, when Trump announced that he was running for another term, there was this somewhat surprising announcement that Ivanka Trump, uh, while insisting she was supportive of her father, was not going to have any formal role on the campaign. Now, looking back over the Trump presidency in the 2016 campaign, I think it's safe to say Ivanka Trump was one of the most influential voices around her father. And I think uh, history indicates that she and perhaps Jared Kushner as well helped talk President Trump out of some bad ideas. They could be a voice of reason. They could uh, counter some bad advice coming from, you know, whichever nut job had Trump's ear at any given moment. Um, that in other words, they saved Donald Trump from his own worst instincts. You know, uh, shortly after the election, we saw kind of the worst of Trump lashing out at Ron DeSantis, de- you know, denouncing him as DeSanctimonious, uh, speculating that uh, Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin, that his last name sounds Chinese. I mean, it seemed like Trump utterly unhinged, utterly unfiltered, all of his most petty and juvenile and snotty and obnoxious and most repellent traits were coming to the surface. And since then, I think it's only gotten worse. The dinner with Kanye, uh, hanging out with Fuentes, um, the uh, the bizarre idea for those digital trading cards or something like that. I think this is without Ivanka Trump and perhaps Jared there to say, uh, Dad, you don't want to do this. No, 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 this is not a good idea. No, 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 let's think this through. We're getting a different Trump. 
And it's a worse Trump. It's a less appealing Trump. And it's a Trump that is less likely both to win a general election. And I think, you know, things could change. But at this point, uh, Trump looks like a less safe bet for the Republican nomination than he did six months ago or a year ago or something like that. So I think it, we, it's inconceivable. We will look back at this and say, hmm, when Ivanka decided she did not want to play a role in that campaign, I don't know if you want to say it necessarily doomed Trump, but it made um, it made his road ahead much more challenging. The loss of that trusted advisor with perhaps more common sense than a lot of the other voices around Trump. So by that standard, Ivanka Trump is my selection. Interesting. Yeah, it was pretty interesting that she decided she wanted nothing to do with the next round of campaigning. I don't know if it's private sector or just wanted to be out of the media glare. I don't I don't know exactly what it is. But, uh, you know, whenever a, a president has a, a second term, who knows if that'll happen for Trump, the staff you get is generally less strong than when you first started. And so uh, if he does get in there, it'd be interesting to see uh, the collection of people that are going to be around him. So uh, fascinating to watch. Uh, for me, it was a tough call. Honorable mention here to Senator Tom Tillis, who not only uh, spearheaded the way to an erosion of religious freedom that I mentioned in an earlier uh, year-end award, but also he tried to jam amnesty down our throats in the lame duck session. I don't know what's gotten into Tom Tillis, but I hope he, uh, I hope it clears up here during the holiday break and he gets back to being a normal senator uh, in the new year. But, Jim, uh, you mentioned Elon Musk, and uh, he is not the turncoat of the year. Uh, and in the media's uh, determination to just go all the way to 11 on everything he ever says, does, or thinks, a certain development in the past few weeks here at the end of the year has largely gone either ignored, probably intentionally, or underreported, and that is what Twitter was doing with uh, the FBI, with DHS, and with the campaigns and so forth. We had the the explanation of how they were told to to spike the Hunter Biden laptop story. They were getting some of that information uh, from uh, folks at the FBI. And then on other issues, uh, we find out that the FBI and the DHS, but it seems like mostly the FBI, literally getting in contact with Twitter about specific posts and specific accounts that they either wanted uh you know, shadow banned or, or just specific posts that they wanted spiked or uh, put notifications up to to correct whatever the post was. And uh, Jim, that's not what the FBI is supposed to be there for. We have criticized the FBI a ton, and I think for good reason, from Disney CTU all the way up to a number of other missed terrorist uh, threats and mass shootings and that sort of thing. Uh, and then when it comes to this, they had 80 people looking at Twitter posts I mean, if you've got an actual threat of violence against someone, fine. Uh, but in terms of people who just, uh, you know, may have an opinion that's not strongly based in fact on whatever the issue is, or if it's just an opinion that you don't like on elections or COVID or anything else, it's not the job of the FBI to go with their hair on fire to Twitter demanding that your posts get taken down. It's not the job of the FBI to stifle free speech unless there's an imminent threat. Their job is to protect our rights, not eliminate them. You want a turncoat of the year, Jim? I give you the FBI. Ah, well done, Greg. Even if you hadn't been able to do that echo of Die Hard, yeah, yeah, that's uh, deeply frustrating. You know, like, and it happens, and the FBI gets criticism. You think, wow, they better get you know get their get on the ball, and then we just have the next one, and then we just have the next one. And there's another, you know, another mass shooter. Up, oh, this guy was on the watch list. Up, oh, there were a whole bunch of red flags we missed. You know, it just keeps going, and I think. Uh, it's getting harder and harder to believe, you know, like Ray's been on the job a long time. It's very tough to believe he's the guy who's going to turn around the ship. 
Now, that's a good point. And uh, if you need a specific face to put on this particular award, uh, you got to give it to the director. He's ultimately responsible. I still know people who work for the FBI. They're really strong, principled people. And so uh, it's, it's not rotten all the way to the core, but it seems like it's getting increasingly rotten at the top. And that's a big, big problem because that's where um, the directives come from. And so uh, very, very disappointing. All right, Jim, our final discussion on the year-end awards, your prediction for the year we are now in, 2023. So, you know, very often, you know, you'll ask me this question, but what I see for the year ahead, and I'll echo Mr. T in the Rocky movies, pain. <laughs> um, but I don't actually think things will be getting worse in 2023. But you could say this is an argument because 2022 was disappointing and lousy in a bunch of ways. Um, but I think it's becoming increasingly clear that Russia cannot win the fight in Ukraine. That's not to say that necessarily Ukraine is going to win either. But at this point, it certainly looks like it's going to be a long, bloody stalemate, which is not necessarily the result we would have wanted, but also was not the result Putin wanted. Um, I don't know what the economy is going to hold. I'd like to think that having a GOP house will at least somewhat limit runaway spending and dumping more economy into more money into an economy that's already inflationary in the year to come. I, I don't get my hopes enormously high when it comes to hoping for the fiscal conservatism of a Republican House, but I think divided government is at least somewhat better in that category. There are a lot of people who are very ominous predictions about the economy in the coming year. I periodically have the worries about whether is this the year China is going to invade Taiwan. I've seen some folks who sound really worried about it, but we also have that same worry Year after year, I figure if the Biden presidency wasn't the giant, you know, uh, go signal for every tin part dictator, you know, and every uh, autocratic regime around the world or, you know, when the U.S. when the world was reeling from the Russian invasion of Ukraine, you figure that might have been one of the prime opportunities for China. And they did not choose to make that step. So I think that will hold off for at least another year. Look, we're going to have a presidential campaign that will start in earnest in 2024. This usually means that in 2023, it starts to pick up. Um, I, I kind of feel like this may not. I mean, if we see every Tom, Dick and Harry jump in on the Republican side, that will not be good. I think I'll be doing my part to ask those lesser known candidates to take this duty seriously. If you want to dip your toe in the water, fine. But as we get closer to crunch time, if you're at one percent, stop wasting everybody's time. Um and, you know, I think just, you know, Ron DeSantis demonstrated that the, you know, conservatism, when properly sold, when properly enacted, when properly uh, put into place to help people's lives can be exceptionally popular, even in states that were once seen as swing states or purple states. So uh, I think the, the, the long term perspective looks bright for, for both the country and the conservative cause and maybe even the world. Hey, who knows? Maybe this fusion thing will work out. Um, there are reasons to feel pretty good about the future. Um, it's going to be challenges. It's going to be like that. But this, that's, Greg, this is about as optimistic as I get. I'm a Jets fan. If there's one thing you can count on for our predictions year after year, Jim is going to be looking at the glass half full, and I will be looking at the glass half empty if there's any liquid in it at all. Uh, Jim, let's talk about why I'm not optimistic. I think what we saw with the omnibus at the end of the year is part of it. I think it's going to be very difficult for Kevin McCarthy or whoever is the speaker uh, to be able to keep uh, such a narrow majority in line. And so when we get to big spending issues, we know that the GOP Senate's going to go along with what the Democrats want to do. They completely carve the House Republicans out of the process at the end of the year. Uh, and so trying to 
not have a handful of Republicans jump over uh, in in fear of uh, you know a government shutdown or something. Anytime there's a spending fight, I feel like uh, the effort to reenact regular order and get the fiscal house even remotely close to something that uh, is respectable is just not going to happen with the numbers uh, that we've got. Uh, more so on the Senate side, I just feel like the GOP Senate got a lot more wobbly, especially towards the end of, of this year. They had been standing strong on. On most issues, they got really weak on a couple of them, and I'm just uh, fearful that the Democrats can be able to get some more stuff through. Uh, and then, like you said, I have the same concern you do about the Republican presidential race. I think you've got a bunch of people who think uh, they're the alternative, they're the other person uh, than President Trump that can uh, get this done. There was just uh, a report out, I'm trying to remember who it was from now, a couple of weeks ago saying Chris Christie, Liz Cheney, Larry Hogan, Asa Hutchinson are all ready to get in because they think they've got the lane uh, that somehow bypasses both Trump and DeSantis. They're delusional. Just get a big pile of money from the bank, light it on fire, and leave us alone. Uh, Because if we have another uh, completely chaotic uh, Republican primary, uh, you're going to have a a very limited Democratic president who's very ripe for the picking skate through because the Republicans can't get their act together. Well, that's always a possibility, Greg. (laughs) Always a strong possibility, come to think of it. But hey, hope springs eternal. Yeah, sorry for the downer, everybody. Hopefully we'll have a lot of good martinis tomorrow and in the days ahead to prove me it's wrong. It's a weird role reversal for you and I, Greg, but I guess that's probably just the bears talking. <laughs> could be. So, oh, man, man. I'm always, I always hope I'm wrong on my prediction, but uh, time will tell, I guess. Jim, happy new year, uh, and I'll see you for a regular show tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Do subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast if you don't already. Tell a friend about us as well. Thanks for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please keep those coming. Uh, get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a terrific Monday and join us again on Tuesday for the next Three Martini Lunch.